Hey, this is Brent Williams. You're listening to the Northern Report. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, friends. Welcome to the Northern Report. I'm your host, Sean Burns, and I'm coming right at you from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Here on the Northern Report, I aim to shine a light on emerging and existing Canadian talent, as well as some of the legends we're still lucky to have with us. My guest on today's show is Brent Williams. Born and raised on a small farm in Hassett's, Nova Scotia, Brent developed a love and appreciation for music at an early age. One night stands in the Maritimes in their early teens with fellow Afro-Canadian and lifelong friend Harry Cromwell signaled the beginning of a life in music for Brent. The Birch Mountain Boys were one of the first groups to play and perform live bluegrass music in Canada. Following the Birch Mountain Boys, the Brent and Harry show was formed. Two LPs were recorded during their time, Country Special and More Country with Brent and Harry. In the years to follow, Brent toured extensively and made regular television appearances on programs including Don Messer's Jubilee, The Maritime Playboys, and The Marcel Martel Show. Settling into a solo career, he recorded Soft Soft Shoulders and Dangerous Curves, which was a significant regional hit in the Toronto area and led to numerous releases, including the Nashville recordings of Back Home in Georgia, Until I Can't Take It Anymore. Brent has released 23 albums, had a number of songs appear on the national charts, and was nominated for a CCMA. In 2013, he received the honor of being inducted into the Nova Scotia Country Music Hall of Fame. And in 2015, Brent received the prestigious Lifetime Achievement Award from the African Nova Scotian Music Association. An accomplished musician, consummate entertainer, and truly a pioneer in many facets of the music industry in Canada. It was a great pleasure to speak with Mr. Brent Williams. Friends, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. I know I did. And let's welcome Brent Williams to the Northern Report. Hello. Hey there, Brent. Hi, Sean. How's it going, man? Doing very good. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing good. Just get back to my uh, hike. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, I walk a couple of miles or so every day when when the weather's good, you know, and that, so. Absolutely. Where Whereabouts do you, did you say you live in Ontario? Just north of Peterborough, a place called, a little town called Lakefield. That's a nice area. Beautiful, yeah, it's in the is in the tourist area, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's a lot of lakes, and just, it's a beautiful, just a beautiful part of Ontario. How long have you yeah. been out there? About two and a half years now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I grew up in Oshawa, so not too far away. Oh, right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I just, the last 20, well, prior to coming here, I was out in Nova Scotia. That's where I was born and raised out there. I went back to my home province for 20 years and, uh, and I decided to come back this way again to be closer to my immediate family. So, whereabouts yeah. did you grow up in Nova Scotia? Uh, between Digby and Yarmouth. Small, small uh, communities. Oh, right in the, right in, right in the, uh, I call it in the sticks, but it's a rural area. And uh, yeah, so I grew up very in a very primitive life, way of life, lived off the land and that kind of thing. So I, I just, I think it's just a sweet way to, to grow up and, and a great experience. Uh, lots of music being played around the house in those days? Oh yeah, yeah. Lots of, lots of, lots of weekend parties and just lots of music. But I had a desire for music uh, when I was very young, five, six years old, country music and that. So yeah, it was, uh, it was just a, 
a way of life. Then we just had the radio to listen to and that. So, you know, and uh, that's what was was being played. The music thing kept it uh, kept us going and was played uh, 24-7. I should say 24, well, 24-7 in, in the waking hours. hours. <laughs> it seems like uh, it seems like such a part of the culture in the Maritime provinces, the, you know, the kitchen party or just the, the playing and the singing and even just casual playing, you know? Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's a big part. It was a big part of, of my growing up, and it was always there's always something like that going on, like you know. So uh, yeah, were you into the country music from a young age? Like right away, it was something that resonated with you. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because that's what, you know that that was I heard that most on the radio. My mother liked country music, and uh, and she, uh, uh, but we listened to everything, but country. I heard more country than than anything else. And so I was drawn to that at a very young age, like five, six years old, right? Right. I was, I was, I was listening to the Grand Ole Opry when I was like, you know, was five, six years old, seven, and I had uh, visions, pictures of those guys on stage, and I'm thinking, this is what I want to do. So when I when I got old enough, I was 18, I went on the road, and uh, we started touring. Who were your favorite uh, your favorite singers back then? Oh, I had Dick Porter Wagner, uh, um, uh, Webb Pierce, uh, the Leuven Brothers, you know, and the all those guys on the opera, Minnie Pearl, uh, Rod Brasfield, the comedians, and the Welburn brothers, just a lot of guys, you know, from that era. And, uh, yeah, Roy Acuff and all those guys. What a great time for country music. Oh, it was absolutely incredible, yeah. Incredible. I love Porter Wagner. Yeah, yeah, he had some great stuff, great, great hits. And, uh, you know, there was the, you know, then, you know, we get into uh, uh, Fervin Husky and all those guys later on. They came through. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the other days, Jerry Reed and all those guys, you know, but in the early days in the 50s were the uh, the ones I just mentioned. There was some of the ones, man, there was like a lot of different ones. I ended up working with some of those people later on when I worked the uh, the Horseshoe Club in Toronto and uh, they'd come in and, and work there as well. So it was kind of nice to be able to, to work with some of the ones that I grew up with and uh, I mean, I could emulate it and that kind of thing, you know, so... But how about the uh, how about the local scene out there in Nova Scotia? Like when you were coming up and getting started, was there any local singers or bands that you looked up to or helped you out when you were getting going? No, it was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> really? it, was, it was bad. There was nobody around that was doing what we did. I think we were one of the only one or two bands. The only band that I knew of that was on the road, uh, trying to make a living at it, were was my our band, the Blue Bats, uh, the Birch Mountain Boys. And uh, the other guys, I think that I didn't know about them, but there were probably one or two others that were doing, you know, other types of music. But uh, and whether or not they were doing it full time or not, I really don't know, because we were in the country in the rural areas and doing most of our stuff. And I suspect around Halifax and the cities, it was guys that were going out and working on the weekends. But these guys all had day jobs, you know, and stuff like that, too. So but we went right at it. Uh, we uh, we believed what we were doing and we wanted to be uh, be successful. So we just took and, you know, just paid the price, paid the price. And there was a big price to pay. We didn't make any money back in those days. We just paid expenses. And that was about it, you know. And this is what this is the first band you're in when you're about 18. Yep. Yeah. Bluegrass. So we played bluegrass. You uh, you were playing fiddle first in those days or because or, I've seen you playing fiddle, banjo and guitar. I was wondering what. Yeah. Came first. I was, I, yeah. I was playing the, the guitar and fiddle first. And uh, I had a banjo you know, later on my uh yeah, 20 years after that, actually, when I got you know, working with my own bands, and I decided to uh, to get the five-string banjo going. I worked it in later in the 70s, but uh, in the early days, it was just the fiddle and, and, and uh, a guitar. Now, is that uh, Angus Walker and the Birch Mountain Boys? No, it was myself and Harry Cromwell, a fellow I grew up with, was my neighbor and like a brother. 
we stay still stay, stay in touch. He's uh, lives in just north of Toronto. And uh, yeah, you know, we did two albums together. And, uh, you know, when he was part of the Birch Mountain Boys, it was just three of us. That we started with me and myself and myself, Harry and Vic, which started off that way. And then we added a few other people as we went along, Angus Walker. And uh, we had a comedian, Lou Judry, originally in the band and, and uh, you know, played the, the upright bass. Uh, you know, a, f- a few people here and there would add in type of thing. You know, basically it was just the three of us for the most part. The, uh, the, the first time that I, I heard you, and, I, and I, that's immediately when I reached out a few months back, is I got my hands on this compilation record called uh, 16 Great Country Songs by Great Canadian <laughs> Artists. And I think it was on the Banff Records label or something like that. And, uh, and there's uh, Brent and Harry, you guys doing the Buck Owens tune Foolin' Around. Yeah, right. Well, that see, don't don't forget, Harry and I did we did two albums with Banff uh, Rodeo Records, Banff Records, and uh, we were all kind of like from that same era, that group around the uh, Nova Scotia, Halifax area. We were all like working together, uh, period, off and off and on, like with Angus Walker, George Beck, and uh, Freddie McKenna, uh, you know, people like that. And we were working, you know, would work for, off and on with one another, and and sometimes on a regular basis on a tour for a year or two in bands and stuff like that. But yeah, so we kind of like, you know, we, we worked together on one another's recordings. And uh, so, I mean, like being in a, a, in such a, 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 a defined group, um, the, the company would do release uh, um, albums like that featuring, a, a, you know, a group of us individually on, on the album to make up the compilation. Where was the Banff label out of? Originally from Peggy's Cove in, in, in Nova Scotia is where I, we first, uh, uh, did our first album, and, and that's where a lot of the uh, the albums were done uh, in the early days. Uh, and that's like I say, in Pe- Peggy School, Nova Scotia, where the guy that uh, owned the company, uh, George Taylor, um, he was. Uh, uh, did I say George Taylor? Yeah, I guess I'm sure it was George Taylor. Yeah, yeah, uh, and he was he was he was a, a, a Scottish and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so he was. He loved the Gaelic, uh, the Gaelic music, and of course, Nova Scotia is full of uh, that kind of music. So he tapped into that big time, and uh, he and he'd reach out and do other things as well. But a lot of his 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 uh, recordings were 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 focused on the, the Gaelic, uh, you know, music like the the, the fiddle players Scotty Winston Fitzgeralds and Brian McLean from Cape Breton and those kinds of guys, like you know. So, but yeah, like and then he would like you know if uh, if other guys were circulating around. On a, on a on a full-time basis like my like the birch mountain boys were uh he'd record them as well so yeah it's pretty communal so you guys are doing your own thing and you're backing each other up and stuff like that oh yeah yeah, yeah. exactly i mean the first album that we were i was ever on and ever, ever recorded was in a radio station in annie ganish and this was angus walker and myself and uh harry uh, you know the birch mountain boys and we had a lady that come in and sing a couple of songs and did this album with with Angus, uh, and uh, we did it right at the radio station in, in Andy Ganesh. That's cool. You know, and uh, you know, and all of our recordings back in those days, even the Rodeo Records, uh, Banff Records, in in, in uh, uh, Peggy's Cove, was just two track machines. There was nothing like we had. We had later on like four tracks and multiple tracks. We just had the two track uh, uh, machine. It would be a lot when you did your editing. We'd be cutting and splicing and stuff like that to put it all together to get a master together, right? So a lot of work you had to be good in those days to record eh? oh, yeah, absolutely. yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah like some of the things that went on back in those days in the studio like it totally unheard of doing today you don't have to you don't have to we had to do things in those days to to in order to put it together 
the way it, we wanted to to, to get to, to to go to work right you know so yeah we did some strange things and uh, it, it worked for us so rodeo at records were they affiliated with the banff label as well it's all the same company. Okay, okay. Yeah, it's all the same company. It's hard yeah. to track down the the details of some of these these labels that are are long since passed, you know. Well, it is, yeah, for sure, yeah, exactly. But there's a there's a lot of history there, and uh, it was around for a long time. I don't know, it's not like I say it's it's kind of fallen by the wayside now nowadays. But it, it um, if you know the right people, you can still get the information, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So you guys were staying pretty pretty local to Nova Scotia Maritime uh, region in that time. Yeah, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. You know, and um, that's basically our that was our turf that we uh, toured in for about you know three four years. And we uh, then uh, you know like an end we got into the Gaspé Coast, uh, northern not New Brunswick, and uh, you know Gaspé Coast of Quebec. And uh, yeah, that that was a pretty hot area in the early early sixties uh, um, as well. We had television up there as well. And uh, oh yeah, because I saw that you were working out of Quebec for for a time there. Were you? Did you guys relocate there, or were you just uh, kind of hammering the the circuit, the region? Well, we we were located located there for a couple of summers, and it was really good for us. And with the TV show and and that, and we just covered the area that the uh, the show the covered. And we you know we do our, our TV shows. Uh, Sometimes every week, sometimes you know, every two weeks, whenever. And then, uh, you know, like, and it was good for to advertise our dates, and because it didn't cost anything for us to do those shows. Mm, right. So yeah, so it was it was, it was a great tool uh, to use for to uh, cover our dates, and we were drawing big crowds back in those days. Television was so so powerful and effective in those days, uh, especially these country music variety programs. You know. Oh yeah, oh yeah, like and you know, and uh, so and it was like you say, it was a, a powerful tool. Because most of those guys, the people that I'm talking about, the 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 people that that, that had had television and, and watched, it was a, it was a novelty for them to come out and see somebody that was on television, because it was it was such a, uh, you know, it was it was it was it was a big impact when you went to a small town or wherever, and the people would just come in on uh, drones just to come and see a type of thing. So it was a powerful tool. Um, Doc Williams used to come up here a lot, and he. Uh, um, uh, we'd run into him periodically, but he was a big draw. He'd come up, uh, he, and uh, he was the he was one of the, the people that were very popular on the uh, WWVA Wheeling, West Virginia Jamboree, and that's what I grew up with with that music, and uh, like and everybody else. And he had some pretty decent records out too that uh, was on the radio. Uh, so he he uh, he draw some big crowds, and he had a good show. So it's at some point you follow the long history and line of of Maritimers who relocate to Toronto. Yeah, 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 exactly. I uh, we uh, when I when we, when we were working in uh, on the Gaspé Coast in Quebec, and uh, this fellow uh, come through, a uh, French singer from uh, from Ontario, from uh, uh, Drummondville, uh, Quebec, and he come down that way on tour every every uh, year because he was French in a French show. And that that area was predominantly French, all French. And uh, he'd come down because it was, you know, because the area was very good for him financially. But he saw me and Harry on television when we were doing one of our shows with the group, and he 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 approached us and he offered. He said, "You guys, let's come and work with me." He said, "Like I've got a TV show in Sherbrooke." He said, "And uh, man, I said, I'd love to have you in my band." So we uh, and he offered us a lot more money than we were making there. So we, <laughs> that we said, "Yeah, we'll take it." And we we're, we're just open for more opportunity and experiences. So we spent three years there working with uh, with him. What was his name? Lord, 
Uh, Marcel Martel. Marcel Martel, okay. Yeah, yeah, and he was one of the four country uh, uh, major stars recording for Capitol Records in Quebec, and he was the number one uh, uh, country artist, French country artist there. So uh, we found that out later, uh, so we got there. But uh, yeah, he was very popular. So we we had a TV show there in Sherbrooke, and that covered all the whole area, like you know, all of Quebec. And we did a lot of touring over down in Quebec and in private clubs down in uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. Down that way, they were French clubs, you know, bilingual French clubs. Oh, and uh, cool. but yeah, yeah, he had accumulate this 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 kind of a, of of uh, these kind of venues and that you know in the years that he'd been in the business so and uh, so we still tapped into that so it was kind of cool and then you went to Toronto from there yeah well I, I we uh, uh, and then by then like I uh, that time uh, Rodeo Records Banff Records they moved to Toronto uh, to Montreal and had to have a studio in Codonais Road and we were living in, in Drummondville at that time. And that's where we recorded our second album. And we were still, Harry and I were still working for this Marcel Martel show. But then I split, a year or two later, I split. I, I just got tired of doing, we were doing everything. We were doing the Beatles and all that music from the, you know, the British invasion stuff and all the local, uh, the hit parade things. But it was a lot of French music. And I, I just, you know, like I wanted to get back into country. Mm-hmm. So that's that's when, uh, that's where I left. And, and that's when uh, the, me, uh, Brent and Harry split because I, you know, I, I stayed on the, uh, with the show for, uh, for a while and I moved to Toronto. What year did you land in Toronto? It was 65. Wow. 60. I talked to, uh, I talked to Al Hooper not long ago. He landed there around the same time. You must know Al. Oh yeah. I know all those guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what yeah. was the scene like in Toronto when you got there and did you, did you know many folks there to get, you know, get your feet on the ground? Not, not really. And I, I started. I had to start from scratch because don't forget. Now I'm. I nobody knows who Brent Williams is in Toronto, and and I now I'm, I'm starting a solo career as well. Yeah. Uh, so like, uh, yeah, like you know. So after about a week there, I was staying with my sister, uh, and uh, after about a week there, I realized that I've got to do something. So I got a day job, in and uh, 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 working for this company as an expediter, and uh, you know. Uh, and then I started and I just gotten married too. And, uh, you know, and we had a child on the way start. So I had to get a day job. And uh, then I took a year off because I'd want to be with my wife. And uh, she had a, 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 she was from Quebec, French. And, and uh, so we said to learn the language. So I took some time off and uh, kind of got settled in that way. And then I started looking to put a band together and, uh, you know, looking for musicians. It took, uh, it took over a year really to, to really start things going get things going there it's a slow process but you know i finally got it going and then uh i ran into this fellow uh i was doing uh was i doing a club i think and this guy come in his wife one night and and said brent he said like you know he says i want to talk to you so we talked and he said listen i gotta i'd like to record you and i'm and that's exactly what i was looking for to start my career get my career a solo career kickstart so he, uh, uh, we, uh, we got together and we put, a, and I had had a song that I'd gotten from Rodeo Records uh, several years prior, and uh, we pulled a song that I thought would be a good one to to work with. So we, and uh, and uh, we we got in the studio and and his little stu- he had the studio in this bus he used to tour in. It was a big bus, and uh, he had this studio built right in the back of that thing, and and, and he uh, recorded right in that. Just north of Toronto, actually, that he where he lived in King City, and uh, we got together, and I and I had this song called "Soft Soft Shoulders and Dangerous Curves," and we recorded it, and I used my bass player from the band, and I did some overdubs, and 
And we released it on his label, Canuck Records. And uh, we took it into the radio station, CFGM Radio in Toronto, Richmond Hill, actually. And they were the biggest country station around at that time. And boy, they they liked it. And they started uh, playing it on a regular basis. So it it really was a a local regional hit for me and got me established very quickly and quite well with the best musicians around Toronto. So that was kind of a door opener for me. What year was that? That was in uh, 68. 68. Okay, so you you were sort of just getting getting your feet on the ground, get, getting your feet wet in the in the local scene, and then you recorded that song and it kind of propelled you in there. That's right, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I was doing things. I was hosting a, uh, uh, it was a monthly uh, music show that some people, uh, friends, they become friends of mine, and we, uh, they asked if I'd emcee this show and stuff like that. And it was, we we'd, and we, I started doing that. We went on for a couple of years. It was once a, once a month, and did this thing grew to be a big thing. And we did this in the Locarno Ballroom in Toronto, and uh, we're, we had some big crowds coming in there. We had people on there, stomping Tom Connors, and uh, I think we had Sweet Daddy Seeky on, oh, and uh, cool. people like that, you know. And I had a lot of connections too, and they had some connections. So, yeah, we could, and it was drawn. It was the place to go, and uh, everybody. Anybody was anybody in the business was there, like Dick Dameron and, and people like that. They all came and, and uh, were part of this, this thing as special guests, right? So, and we had, and we had the radio station CFGM was involved, and there's some of the couple of their their DJs that come in and 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 and, and host the show occasionally and as well. So it was a good, it was a great uh, uh, contact for everybody. Were you still were you doing six nighters in the taverns and bars too at that yeah. time? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what kind yeah, of places was, were you playing? Remember any of the uh, any of the names of the joints you were regular at? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, you know there was so many. I, mean, I was trying to remember some of them. Uh, you know, uh, it's been a while. Uh, the Waverly Hotel. Um, there was other names, nicknames for these places, but there were quite a few places. And I can't remember all the names now. It's just too many years gone by. I I, I hear one called uh, the Edison. The Edison was there. That was the second country club uh, there. I used to go there a lot to uh, just c- connect with some of the the, the uh, American acts and, uh, and local guys that were playing there. But I ended up doing the Horseshoe Tavern on a fairly regular basis in the early 70s. And uh, uh, I, uh, I, I had some great co- work with a lot of the uh, um, a lot of the acts coming in from the States as well. Like, you know, they'd come there and and, uh, and, and work a week and I would do a a solo act between a lot of their acts and stuff like that. That's where stopping. That's where stopping. Tom got his, his, his kicked his, his uh, career off as well. Jack Starr, who owned the place, he wanted me to to stay there. He says, Brent, he says, stay. He said, don't. And I, he said, stay, stay. And, and he said, and, and and we'll 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 and so we'll do the same as we do with stopping Tom. But I was kind of the, the kind of guy that I thought, well, you know, like I don't want to stay in a place too long. It's gonna I'll get burned out. But I, you know, I wasn't realizing that, you know, with the population of Toronto, over a couple of million people, that that wouldn't happen. Yeah. But, you know, so like, but it was just one of those things I had. And I was inexperienced as far as knowing any different. So, you know, so I passed on it. And, and I kind of, unfortunately, I, I, I passed on it, you know. So, um, yeah, I should have actually stayed. You were playing there solo, you said, or did you ever do with your own band as well? I just, I just did solo there, yeah. Yeah, I, I worked a solo for quite a few years, uh, right until oh golly, you know, I, I worked till '68 is when I had a band for a couple of years, 
and then uh, then I started uh, till 68, 69. Yeah, and then when I went on the road in 70, I, uh, I worked a solo and uh, right up until uh, 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 75, and I put another show band together and that went right through for the next seven years. Seems like Toronto was like a very vibrant country music honky tonk community in the, in that era in that era. Oh, it was, it was like you say, the Edison and the Horseshoe were the number one clubs there. But the, when I was doing the clubs there, like there were there's night country clubs all over Toronto, like you know just you know and uh, I mean there, there was a lot of other music as well, and uh, but there was a lot of country music and not only that there were a couple of after hours clubs. And the one I was involved with mostly was the Matador Club, and it was it was a big place. And uh, Johnny Burke and 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 uh, uh, Eastwind, his band worked there on a regular basis. And of course, we I'd get there. I started going there in the late '60s because it was a place where all the anybody who was anybody and all the great musicians hung out there. So I'm looking for good musicians to 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 you know to establish a band. So I was hanging out there, and they'd get me up to do special guest spots and stuff like that, and sometimes fill in. So it was a great great a great uh, venue to uh, to get recognized in, and uh, making great great contacts because, like I say, anybody in the business in the industry, they'd be there. They'd check out, see who was there, who you know who they could. Uh, a recruit or whatever it might be that they were looking for so yeah it was and a great venue that's a classic after hours gig it, it started at like 2 a.m yep 2 a.m <laughs> two, 2 to 6 in the morning yeah there was a time like when i was working a day job i did work the day job for four years and then i was working a club six nights a week and the after hours clubs friday and saturday <laughs> so, so it was it's pretty crazy you know yeah i heard a lot of stories of fellas that uh, my old man uh, told me too he's like you know you play your gig Friday night and then you pack up and you go do the matador and then you do that yep. two to two to six or whatever. And then the next afternoon you're on stage for the matinee and then you do the that's gig right. and then you do the matador and just playing right. music that's all right. the time. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. So I've started to run across uh, a handful of your records from the 1970s on the Paragon record label. Uh, okay. And that's where I keep finding a lot of, a lot of these artists. And I was wondering if you could give me any insight uh, on the Paragon label and, and what it was like with those albums of yours. Well, the Paragon Marathon, same, same company. They just went from Paragon to Marathon. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, yeah, I did, I did, uh, um, what did I do? Three, uh, three albums with them, I believe it was. Yeah, that's what I got here. Yeah, and then I did, I did three more on my own label. Um, uh, after that, um, yeah, uh, but yeah, I did three, and uh, so they were, they were going concerned. I did those three albums in about three, two to three years, but I was also recording with Boot Records at that time too. They flew me to Nashville to cut four sides, and down there in '72. And and uh, um, I that was that was back home in Georgia was the number one song for me in a lot of radio states across Canada, and the follow up to that was Till I Can't Take It Anymore, and there was a, like that. and so that was all seventy two seventy three, and uh, they really opened a lot of doors for me as well, uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, that was quite an experience to record down there, and I was there in seventy two at RCA Victor Studios, and you need a curse singers did the choral background and. Wow. You know, it was an amazing experience. So studio musicians, like they just in there, these guys lived in the in the farm, their farms out in the country. They'd come in to spend the whole week with their motorhomes and park right by the RCA Virtual Studios <laughs> and just do four sessions a day. Like you know, man, it was just crazy. Just efficient musicians. Oh yeah, oh yeah, incredible, incredible stuff. Yeah, just amazing. Yeah. Hey there again, folks. As we approach the halfway point of today's episode. I'd like to thank you once again for tuning in. 
You're listening to the Northern Report Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Burns, and our guest today is Brent Williams. I'll remind you to follow along with the Northern Report Podcast and our playlist on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. You can listen on YouTube, our anchor.fm home base, or wherever you find your podcasts. It was quite a ride for Brent Williams. From a small town in the Maritimes, picking bluegrass, to the bright lights and big city and the vibrant honky-tonk scene of downtown Toronto. Brent had releases on a variety of labels and found success with singles all throughout the 1970s with songs recorded in Canada and in Nashville. He proved to be a very valuable asset and research for me here on the Northern Report. After our conversation, he put me in touch and helped me track down both Ollie Strong and Jack Boswell. And I'm just fascinated by the Paragon Marathon record label that was responsible for thousands of local and regional releases from the 60s through the 80s and even beyond. The first full album of Brent's that I got my hands on was 1970s On The Go, released on the Paragon label. I was eager to hear more about that whole scene and time in Toronto. We dug into that, along with Brent's path, recording and performing in the years that followed, including going into the hotel business and winning a fiddle contest that he didn't even enter. Here's the back half of my chat with Brent Williams. I don't know how, how much of this is uh, is accurate because I've been digging around and, and things get lost in translation over time. But the, the mm. one record that I got my hands on was On the Go from 1970. Uh, yeah. A lot, lot, of, lot of cover tunes on there, some real great songs and really nice performances. Yeah. Now, is it true that Ollie Strong played bass on the, on this album? Because he was a famed pedal steel player. That's right. That's right. And he played bass on it. He didn't play it very well. But anyway, that <laughs> <laughs> was awesome. It's pretty horrible, to be honest with you. But I cut that album. That was the first one I did with uh, with the Marathon Paragon. And I, we cut that in about three and a half hours. Wow. And I, yeah, I was just uh, on my way through Toronto from a gig, going to another one gig. And we stopped and did that on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. incredible. <laughs> so did you guys, did you just uh, like, uh, did you, did, was there much pl- pre-planning on the material and the band? Or was it kind of like, you know, let's just do this one? Oh no, that stuff. Everybody knew those songs, so it was just a matter of going in. This is I got. The, there's the list. Let's do it. And there was no rehearsals. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we just. <laughs> and and the band was was thrown together like whoever was available, or was it oh. was it handpicked by you? No, no, whoever was available, and you know, like uh, <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Side side side, get hold of one guy, and I said, look, this is what I'm doing, or whether it be Ollie. Ollie and I really hit it off big time at, at the early stages of my of my, uh, uh, my moving to Toronto. And, um, yeah. And, uh, I just say to him, Ollie, look, I need some guys that I'm um, doing this album. Uh, he said, okay, no problem. I'll put it together. So, wow. so, you know, so he had Al Briscoe and people like all the top notch players and, and stuff like that. So, you know, and so on that album, he said, well, I'll play some bass. Now I, I don't know if you ever played bass before. It does. It sounds like it never did, but anyway, we did it. And uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. He's uh, I, I first got hip to his playing on the chef Adams records from the sixties. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Really yeah, nice Shep- stuff with him and Mickey McGivern on guitar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we all yeah, we all worked together on uh, that bunch. So Chef was a quite, quite a guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you get to work with him ever? Oh yeah, we worked all well it's worked together and doing stuff, yeah. Yeah. How, how about you know. with Mickey? Well yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, work with Mickey a bit. Not a lot, you know, but it's not a, you know, like you'd be, uh, you'd party with these guys too. And, uh, you know, Mickey was, was a, was a wild man. Why he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. Found, I just found a record online uh of Billy Adams and Mickey McGivern that I, oh, I quickly yeah. ordered cuz I've never heard Billy but I've only heard I've heard a lot of stories about him. Yeah, you they're all true. <laughs> Honky tonkers. And uh and I guess I most recently was listening to your 1978 record that was produced by Dallas Harms. Uh, I wish you were oh, with yeah. me tonight. That's a really nice album. Yeah, that that was good. That came out. We cut that in the Mercy Brothers Studios in Elmira. Oh, cool! Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. And Dallas wrote the two songs on that. The, the hit song I had from "I Wish You're With Me Tonight" was a big song. Got me nominated for a, an award, uh, um, CCMA award. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was a good album. Did you yeah. re-record "Soft Soft Shoulders"? Yes, I did. And yeah. I think I found yeah. a copy from maybe 1980. Does that sound right? uh yeah that would uh let me see um yes that would be about right yeah yeah i recorded that re-recorded that again and i put fiddle on some cajun style fiddle on that a bit and then kind of gave it a bit of a different uh, swing uplift to it you know yeah it gives it a bit more modern feel uh for that era. yeah 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 exactly exactly yeah i'm sorry did you ever hear the original probably not no i would love to but i i, I have yeah. not been able to track that down i you know and i i i think I've lost, I had a 45 on that. And I, when I moved and I'm really ticked off, I, I, I moved from, when I moved from Halifax a couple, two and a half years ago, this mover lost a lot of my stuff. Oh. And I don't, I think, I think I was ripped off from within the company and all my original 45s back from that era got, they're gone. That's and that, Yeah, very much so. And that was one of the ones that, that's, that I don't have. That was the, the original copy, and I don't have access to to that anymore. That was the only one, and I know this company didn't um, didn't make have any. And it, I bought it; it's just gone. It's, it's that simple. They, you know, they uh, they didn't last long enough to, and they wouldn't have had you know uh, archive archived anything. Um, you know, back in those days, there was no such thing. Yeah. Of doing so, that, so yeah, so it's gone. It's hard, and, hard um, to find that stuff, but they pop up like that one I just uh, ordered there from Billy and Mickey. They pop up online a little. I'm wondering, did, whatever happened to Paragon Marathon? Well, I, I'm still, I still stay in. Uh, Jack Boswell was the person that uh, that, that spearheaded that company and owned that company. Uh, he's still around in, in Toronto. I, I spoke to him a year or two ago. I can't remember why I, I, I called him for a reason. I think just checking to see how he was doing. Mm -hmm. We had a bit of a chat. Yeah. But so, yeah, there's, he's still around. Wow. Um, if, oh, yeah. If you wanted to get a hold of him, I could give you the uh, the information. Absolutely. I would just love to talk to, to learn more about this label because it seems like you know, even uh, Al was telling me like he made some records, but then all of the fellas in his band had their own records as well. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Just like everyone, same kind of thing as the Banff label. Everyone's kind of backing each other up and playing. Well, that's right, exactly. Yeah, it's a yeah. real community, you know. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, that's right. It was great. You know, it was really great because you you didn't have to wonder who am I going to get to do this and that or whatever. Like you know, and you just. You know, one person could put it all together. And actually, that was kind of like what it was like in Toronto. And, uh, you know, like I was, we were just talking about, I just had to call one person and, and he'd take care of it. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know, so, I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. And uh, I guess, I guess it could be done today as well, but at a different level. And it uh, depends on if you're not, like, we're not in that, in that, uh, um, 
in that 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 current groove with these people like I'm not anyway so but I suspect it still happens out there you know in a much larger way I suspect you know so you uh you maintained your fiddle plan all, all the way through um I, it I yeah I, I didn't do much in the early days when I say early days of my solo career because I was just you know I'm just myself and the guitar and 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 whatever accompaniment accompaniment I had to do with that and it wasn't very appropriate to do fiddle without having some kind of a of a rhythm behind it. And I didn't have that was before we had the, uh, the 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 tracks and stuff like that. Even the drama machine wouldn't be a good thing to have. But I, I didn't even have that. I had a I worked with a hi hat and a tambourine, uh, you know, uh, like a, a type of thing to give me some rhythm when I played the guitar. So that wasn't very good to play fiddle like that. And uh, you know, it wasn't. It just wasn't cool. So I let I left it I left it out for a number of years until I uh, got a band and then I put it back in again and I just you know and and I I recorded about three fiddle uh, CDs uh, you know as well so um, yeah well how is it that you won a fiddle contest that you didn't even enter <laughs> <laughs> what's that oh. all about <laughs> well when I was I, I had a pretty hot show band and I was playing uh, playing a lot of big clubs. And we were doing Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario was a big uh, draw, a big club for us. And we, we did well there. We did well in all the clubs. But the guy there, him and the, the guy owned the place and I became good friends. And uh, and he'd get me back there two or three times a year. And yet today for two weeks. So this one time we went and um, uh, and I didn't, there was a fiddle, they have a fiddle contest in Sault Ste. Marie every year back then. And and. Um, and I never, I mean, knew, I knew about it, but I wasn't one to compete. I just played, I enjoyed playing and just entertaining. But my band took it, filled in an application without me not knowing about it and sent, and put it in. <laughs> so, yeah, really. And so about midweek, uh, the first week, I think it was, and about midweek, uh, we were having, a, having a, a, just a rat with from rehearsal that morning and we had a coffee and, you know, maybe to shoot some pool and stuff like that. We all had a good time with my guys and, uh, we did a lot of stuff together, and uh, they, one of them said, well, uh, Brent, we want to wish you good luck this Saturday night in the contest, the Fiddler's Contest. I said, oh, yeah, right. They said, well, yeah. I said, uh, I said, what do you mean? Well, they said, uh, you, you're, you're going in. I said, no, I'm not going in. Well, they said, he said, they said you got to. So what do you mean I got to? Well, we sent an application in for you. I said, you did what? <laughs> oh, man, I said, you crazy? So then I had to go because it was, you know, it was only a few days before the contest. So I put a few tunes together in the order that they're supposed to be in. And I went in and didn't I win the darn thing? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that was cool. Man. They, <laughs> I wish I'd have got better photos of it. They brought the, the big trophy into me uh, and presented it to me on stage that night. It was a Saturday night. And uh, it was just amazing because I was not expecting that at all whatsoever. But unfortunately, back in those days, we didn't have people around with great cameras and uh, people that did uh, photos, uh, good photos. So we missed out on, on that, a lot of stuff like that. And, you know, yeah. th 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 that's true. But I think part of that uh, adds to the mystique, you know, of, of that whole time. Yeah, it absolutely does. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I did. I don't know, get a chance to check out my website. But we managed to get a couple of photos together where I was on stage when I competed in that contest. And that's on the website. And uh, I think there's something else we put on there. Yeah. So it's, it's on the website if you get a chance to check it out. Yeah, I did. I and did. It, yeah. So it was kind of cool. Like, you know, I'm, and my bass player at that time had that photo and, and uh, it's it surfaced 
uh, last year sometime. So and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll use that. And we put it on there. So it was kind of cool. So what's the, the primary difference between, you know, the, the bar room honky tonk band versus the show band in that time? Well, the show band was, was pretty much like it was a, 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 a um, for me, I'm an entertainer and uh, it was just a, a, a lively, uh, uh, entertaining package, well-dressed in those days, you know, like everybody, I uh, custom made suits uh, for everybody. Uh, you know, and it was just a, a, a and it's a powerful show, you know, great harmonies and just a solid band with a lot of stuff going on in it. And I hired guys uh, to when I in my bands for everyone sang a different style. OK, so we, we, we covered a lot of material and uh, it was just amazing. People were just in awe of, of the kind of thing we were doing. So that that becomes a powerful show band, you know. And so you're not playing as many sort of rough bars. You're playing nicer rooms. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You're playing like a B, a and B clubs, like you know, like the the big stuff. Yeah, like you know, Lucille Star and and uh, and 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 uh, just all some of the top people like uh, that in the business. I'm trying to remember some names that were going at that time. We're all playing the same clubs, you know. So it's a real you're playing A clubs all the time, basically. I'm such a fan of Lucille's voice. Yeah, she was yeah. fantastic. And yeah, born here in Manitoba. Oh yeah, was she? Yeah, I think she right? kind of wow. made her bones out in British Columbia, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, okay, wow, great she, stuff. Yeah. She also recorded down in Nashville too, right? That's right, she did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When yeah, you were down but, there, did you get a chance to to play down there, or did you just go down to do the recordings? I just went to the recording, but I was down a lot since that. And Ronnie, my good friend Ronnie Prophet, was at the Carousel down there, the Carousel. I met Ronnie back in '64 when I was in Montreal. He was at uh, he was working between. Uh, he was at the uh, the Monterey Club, which is the A Club, uh, the big club in Montreal at that time. And the uh, um, the Hackamores were the main band, and he'd do a solo between their sets, right? And that's why I first met Ronnie, and that's when me and my partner was in in Montreal spending the winter winter trying to 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 break some grounds there through an agent that didn't do very well for us. But anyway met Ronnie and we kind of stayed in touch off and on from from that time forward. But yeah, so um, uh, um, what was the point I'm trying to make here with that? I was going somewhere Nashville. with that. Yeah, right. And when I went to Nashville, one of the times I went down to one of the conventions, I knew Ronnie was there and I went to, to spend some time with him at the carousel. And of course, Ronnie to me was one of the best inter single entertainers that ever, that ever played a, a, a nightclub. The guy's absolutely incredible. The, the things that he does, like, it's just amazing. So, uh, so I went to see him and we had a chance to catch up on some stuff and, uh, and chat and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but as far as working in any of the bars, I never did any work down there outside of recording. I knew about different places and like the Tootsie's bar and all these other places, but I never really uh, patronized them because we're down in the convention. You're down there for a week and you're just taking in and uh, catching up on some of the people that you met, you know, on your tours and that kind of come up this way to Toronto and so forth and just kind of, you know, moving around that way and uh, throughout the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the convention. When you were in Toronto, like, did, did you stay pretty, pretty close to, you know, the Southern Ontario region or did you guys ever leave the province? Oh, no, I left the province up in Newfoundland, back in Nova Scotia. Oh, wow. New Brunswick on tours. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never oh, out yeah. west? I did west, yeah, with when I was with Walmart quite a few times. I did a gig with Walmart. Oh, yeah, and, what's the story uh, with that one? Well, you know, I hooked up with Walmart in 95 and through a friend, some friends of mine and uh, 
that became a good gig because that was a, when you when I did that gig, uh, you'd go in at, uh, what you did as my special table made, made up where I set up behind the table and put all my wares, my tapes and CDs out there and, and uh, uh, you know, and you'd perform uh, there. Uh, and a lot of the guys from, from the States did the same thing. And and you tour, spend a week in these stores, and I tell you, it was it was a massive uh, 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 um, uh, part of your business because it was it was it was it was uh, they had a department in their in their cash register uh, were for the entertainers because the sales were incredibly large because you'd sell a lot of product there. And you didn't have to deal with the people on a one-to-one basis. You did, you know, speak and uh, talking to them and so forth. But as far as the, your merchandise, they just threw it in with the, in the carts with the rest of the the, the, the merchandise and and check it out. Oh wow! So we, we yeah. So I we I keep an inventory of what I had on the table at the end of the week and Sunday. They they would match up inventories and you know and and if there was any discrepancy, we'd work it out, and you'd get paid cash and away you went. So it was a, a, an incredible venue, and uh, I did that for a couple of years, right, and right from coast to coast, right from Newfoundland right to BC. Were they like store opening things, or just exist- no, 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 no? You'd call up whenever you wanted a tour. You just call up, and not only this, they were easy, so easy to deal with because you'd call up and they'd say, "Listen, I've got uh, I've got this week open. When do, you know, and uh, when when can I come in?" They'd say, "Well, you you name the time. <laughs> you tell tell me when you want to come in. We'll make space for you. We'll make space. Don't worry." That was a big thing for them too, so you didn't have to negotiate like clubs and all these kind of things. Well, look, you know, I got this. Oh, how much do you want? And you know, whatever it might be, but you didn't have to negotiate. You just uh, it was on your terms. Mm, okay, yeah, that's so refreshing. Yeah, very refreshing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so yeah, and then a couple of guys. Uh, uh, messed it up by stealing merchandise out of the stores. Oh. Some of the enter- couple of the entertainers. Yeah, it just takes a, one or two bad apples to mess up a, a good thing when it's when it's happening. And that always usually happens as well. So, 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 when did you stop doing the like the six nighters with the show band and stuff like that? Like in in the eighties, were you working that that hard into the eighties still? Uh, just till eighty, uh, the end of eighty two, uh, and. That and and I'm, then uh, I and I had I worked a deal to buy the Welland Hotel in Welland, Ontario, oh. <laughs> and that 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 deal we 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 uh, by the time January first started, uh, we were playing there and uh, to and but we we worked a, a thing uh, was a waiting period until April the following April of of eighty three, we played in that club the whole winter and jammed it every night. That's such a country music singer thing, you know, get off the road, buy yourself the hotel and you got a home base. Yeah, exactly. But the thing that was amazing to, to work that club uh, for three months, plus, three and a half months and fill it every night was just an absolutely unheard of, incredible thing. Because, like you know, but we had such a I had such a great following and they just came in drones just to every 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 night, just, you know. And then when I took it over, like uh, it was uh, around near the end of April and um yeah, in three years I had the place. Oh, just you know, I had just going. I had increased the business uh, from where it was to another. Yeah, it was just I had it doing nearly three quarters of a million dollars a year. Wow! So, Did you have to bring other yeah. other bands in as well? Oh yeah, I was bringing in a lot of big names. Ronnie Props come in for one night, and uh, uh, Terry Terry Sumption, 
uh, had, uh, um, I think I had a band from out west, but I can't remember what they were. But a lot of bands that were in circulation around uh, the, you know, the area, like um, uh, Grant Carson. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, I was in there. Uh, uh, and I had some American stuff. Gene Shepard came in and did one night. That's incredible. And, uh, yeah, like you know, I catch these guys on on uh, with an open night on uh, the, the uh, on the road. The agent that I was dealing with would catch them, and they'd say, "Brent, do you, do you have a night open?" I, yeah, and uh, you know, so I got Gene Shepard in there, and and somebody says, "You got to get the owner, Brent, come up and play the fiddle." And I didn't. They, they did this. I didn't know about this, and they, and all of a sudden she calls me, "Brent, you got your fiddle," and I and I'm behind the bar. And I I said, "Who the heck did that?" So I said, well, yeah, I got it. She said, can you come on up? And I said, yeah, all right. So I had my pedal back in the office. I got it out. Went out and we did some stuff together. And, and she was just, just elated. She said, after the, the thing, she said, man, so I love, can you come back? Would you like to come and work with me on the road? I said, well, I can't do that. <laughs> She's uh, but, one of my favorites. Yeah, it was good to work. It was a great. I always liked her, you know, and that, and that. So it was fun to do that, you know. But yeah, I had different. A lot of people uh, like uh, come in uh, and um, and work the the, the club. Um, I can't remember all the names, but there were a lot of different bands, and yeah. Out in Welland, Ontario. In Welland, Ontario. And, yeah. And then what, you you sold the place and moved on, or what happened there? Yeah, I got in. Yeah, after I, I got out and I moved on from there uh, after about six years, and went back and went to Angus, Ontario, and, uh, and opened a bought a place there. And uh, um, yeah, it was a pizza place and it had a little lounge in it and that kind of thing. So we kind of did that. In recent years, you've kind of leaned more towards the gospel music. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, I've been doing gospel. I've got a couple of uh, videos, two or three videos out now in gospel music, and I've uh, started doing that about five years ago. And uh, that's where I'm going now with my music and yeah, my life. And uh, so, you know, and my latest one out right now is the Umbrella in the Rain. That CD is on uh, out, out now as well. And uh, so, yeah, so we're, we've been doing a lot of that kind of thing. And um um, I'm working on a new gospel song now, but it's also um, a kind of a, a protest song as well. I won't go into a great detail on that, but I have a friend that I've run into down here, lives about an hour from me, and we're writing this song together. And um, um, and I, I like co-writing with other people because I don't write enough to be good on my own, but I can be very influential when it comes to writing with somebody else. So that's why I'm, I'm, I was blessed to to find somebody in this area that uh, that I can do that with. Um, and this guy's a really good writer too, a great uh, a great uh, um, artist, and he's written some 3,000 songs, so he knows his way around. He's a good guitar player as well. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so and we're working on a song right now that's, um, I think it's going to be, uh, it's, a pro it's appropriate for the, for the time and the things we're going through in, uh, in, 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 in our globe, on our globe, and so as the racism and that kind of thing, you know, so we're going to, incorporates that uh you've probably heard of rosa parks oh yes yes okay well the, the viola desmond um, uh did a scene in 1946 before rosa park followed up uh seven years later and it's going to be based on that kind of thing i i'm not going to go into detail any more than that on it but you uh, kind of gives you an idea of what, what this song is going to be all about. Absolutely. So yeah. before the, the pandemic, like you were still getting out there and, and performing live still? 
I was doing some, not as much as I would normally would, but um, I was I'd going to, I was, I was, I was um, taking some things off my plate and out of my life that were uh, uh, bogging me down. And we tend to do that. I, I'm, I was always the kind of person to take on more than what you can handle. And that can be a, a dangerous thing to do. And uh, I had to just lighten my load and, uh, and, and deal with life, some life issues and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I lost my son uh, two or three and a half years ago, and that, oh, that was hard. Yeah, it was not a the easy one, easy thing to to deal with, and uh, but it's just one of those things. And but it's life, it's life, and and uh, you know there's some some things I had to deal with in life as well, my personal life. So I took some time away and just backed away from things. But uh, and then the pandemic hit and and kind of uh, um, kept the door closed. Yeah. So we're just holding on to things right now, we're waiting. And, you know, I don't think I'll ever go back to where if I go back, um, I would love to tour in the gospel music. And I don't know how 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 that might come together, but just have to wait and see now and uh, see what what uh, what transpires from uh, from all this uh, that we're going through now and uh, and kind of go from there. But music is still very much a part of your life. Oh, yes. Yeah, for sure. It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any of those uh, early Paragon records or anything that uh, you, any of those performances or, or songs that you're especially proud of still today? Um, well, um, I guess, you know, there's a lot of that I'm uh, not so much the Paragon stuff, because a lot of that was, you know, the uh, I think the, the things that I'm most uh, proud of is, is the is the uh, the bluegrass music that we did with the Birch Mountain Boys. Uh, that's the stuff that's really precious because we were um, the pioneers when it came to bluegrass in, in, in Canada. We were the second bluegrass band that, that did that was doing anything on a full time basis and kind of set, laid down some pretty, uh, um, you know, solid ground for the people that followed. So that's where I'm mostly proud of those those uh, recordings that are the, that music from that era. Uh, and of course, I mean, some of the earlier stuff, the earlier things I did in my solo career, I'm, I'm still, you know, uh, thankful of because it really got my me established as a as a as an artist and a, a solo basis, like you know, type of thing. So yeah, but as far as the Paragon stuff, they would just cover songs mostly that we did with the Birch Mountain Boys. Uh, that's the stuff that's really precious because we were um, the pioneers when it came to bluegrass in in, in Canada. We were the second bluegrass band that that did. That was doing anything on a full-time basis and kind of set, laid down some pretty, uh, um, you know, solid ground for the people that followed. So that's where I'm mostly proud of those those uh, recordings there, that, that music from that era. Uh, and of course, I mean, some of the earlier stuff, the earlier things I did in my solo career, I'm, I'm still, you know, uh, thankful of because it really got my me established as a as a as an artist and a a solo basis, like, you know, type of thing. So, yeah. But as far as the Paragon stuff, they would just cover songs most for the most part and some, some you know, average writing that I did, but uh, nothing that I'm pretty jumping the fence or, or about, you know, so. Those records, I guess, I mean, it would seem that maybe they were uh, recorded and released just as something to sell off of stage. Is that accurate? Pretty much so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pretty so it's less so. of an artistic yeah. impact than, than say, you know, some of the earlier stuff because you and Brent or you and Harry, sorry, were just uh, fantastic together. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. We, uh, we, we, uh, and I, and we were doing, 
we, we were we were we we got our our our, our duo thing basically from the the will the Louvre brothers ah. and and i we and and i would emulate charlie uh, ira lose not lou and i did all that high harmony and all that stuff and harry couldn't yeah didn't, didn't have a lot of range so somewhere along the way early in my career i got i was able to just switch from from lead vocal to harmonies and it worked really well for me and we were doing all this stuff and it those are the these are the recordings that are really uh precious to me because you know it, just to go back and listen to those songs today it's it's something that you don't hear uh hear of today people doing that kind of thing there's there, there's so much um um uh, synthetic music today in the recordings that you don't get the true artists and the musicianship that you got back in those days you that's know? a good so, way to put it yeah you know (laughs) it's true well that song i mean that like that performance really stood out to me on on that compilation record and that's why i initially reached out to you and uh, i'm i'm really glad that you've taken the time here today to talk to me brent it's a real pleasure to speak with you well it's been a pleasure indeed for me i wasn't expecting for it to to uh, come off this well because we didn't have a chance to really talk before yeah and that's sometimes the best way to do things i find and i you know, and I'm glad that it worked out the way it did, and I'm glad that you're happy with it. That's That means a lot to me. Fantastic. Thanks so much for taking the time today, Brent. Thank you, Sean. It's been great talking to you. Have a good day, man. Okay, thank you. Well, friends, I hope that you've enjoyed my chat with Brent Williams. Big thanks to Mr. Williams for taking the time to tell us his story. You're able to hear some of Brent's recent releases wherever you're streaming music for a nominal monthly fee. Or I'll suggest you go down that YouTube rabbit hole where you can find some of his full albums and other singles. You can also check him out at brentwilliams.ca. Follow along with the Northern Report Spotify playlist to hear music from the folks that I've covered in my Hockey Talk Times column, as well as right here on the podcast. Remember to subscribe, like, follow, share, leave us a rating. I appreciate it very much. Our logo was created by Boots Graham of Boots and the Hoots, Central Alberta's finest honky-tonkers. Music on the show.